Metricast. What does filmed for IMAX mean? It isn't just a movie that'll look great on IMAX's screens. It means that hiding from a sandstorm feels like fear in every flicker. And every triumph is felt in every sound wave. And the things we've only imagined, you can truly experience those too. That's what filmed for IMAX means. Get tickets to experience Dune Part 2 now and IMAX's exclusive expanded aspect ratio. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Hold on to your butts. We are changing the course of history as we see it. That is what Wesker demands. Now, this affects Iris. Um, Iris, where are you? What you feel only matters to you. I do not entertain hypotheticals. The world as it is is vexing enough. Iris, I have a tip for you. Don't take drugs! Or whatever movies with Wesley and Iris. Wah, 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 wah. Molly, shut up. (laughs) Molly, shut up. What up and welcome to Or Whatever Movies. I'm your co-host, Iris, and I'm here with my older brother, Wesley. Today, during this Halloween season, here at Or Whatever Movies, we're discussing a movie from 1980. You guessed it. Horror classic. Stanley Kubrick, The Shining, available so annoyingly on AMC Plus via Spectrum. Boy, that was annoying. I'm just going to say video on demand. It's available on demand. They always do this. Halloween, they take all the stuff that we're going to talk about, a.k.a. all the good movies, and they just put them in the vault until after Halloween. Like, you want to watch this? You got to pay for it. It did have commercial breaks. They did edit out the boobs. But otherwise, I think I watched the original American cut. Good job. Cut out the boobs. Yeah, they totally blurred the boobs. I'm sorry. Sludge Monster and um, Halloran's boobs. Oh, interesting. I got to say, though, you know, boobs, yay and all, but those are some not sexy boobs. Sludge Monster boobs? There's nothing titillating about those about the bathroom boobs titillating i'm just i'm just saying it's not it doesn't register in my mind as that's kind of hot what about the halloran art boobs those are just silly the apparently those were pretty popular in like the 70s and stuff but it's just funny that he's just chilling and there's like nubian goddesses all over the place (laughs) but doesn't it set him up a little bit to be creepy like aren't you waiting in the very sweet conversation he's having with Danny, aren't you just kind of waiting for him to pull out the creep? Well, considering they had just met him and he's like, well, I'm going to go take him for some ice cream. You want some ice cream, Doc? And like takes his hand and leads him away to ice cream is a little bit creepy. That said, let Dick Halloran live. He doesn't have much longer to live. I mean, he takes off his pants like everybody else. He's not hurting anybody. He certainly didn't seem to hurt Danny, even though he entered his mind and was like, you like ice cream, Doc? Like without his parents' consent. (laughs) That's right. He did not get permission to shine with Doc. 
Yeah, Halloran is the, if there is a hero in The Shining, it's Halloran. And if there's a villain, would you say it's Grady? Um, No, I think Grady is just an instrument of the hotel. Grady is Jack version 0.9. And I think that Jack is a victim. I guess if there is an antagonist, it is the hotel or Allman, you know, who is the face of the hotel. But I don't know, really know that there's a bad guy necessarily. Um, If Halloran is the hero, this movie sets it up effectively that his heroics and his benevolence in flying all the way from his home to get back up to Sidewinder via the snowcat is not worth the effort. He's stopped cold in his tracks. Stop cold. Well, he d- he successfully delivers the escape vehicle. Yeah, that's true. And sacrifices himself in the process. But you know, The Shining only has two deaths. Oh. And one of them happens off screen. Where's the body count? It's just Halloran. And Jack, if you count his death in the snow. Oh. I mean, that's a, de- a death that happened that occurs during the course of the movie. That's true. I guess so. But I was thinking about Halloran's death. And obviously, we've discussed in our review of Dr. Sleep that Halloran lives in the novel. Spoiler. But his death in this movie is necessary. Otherwise, Jack hasn't really committed a crime. <laughs> it's perfectly OK if you if you just go nuts in your own little thing. <laughs> I mean, then it's just he said, she said, and maybe she's her saying has a little bit more weight these days, but probably not in the 70s and 80s. Yeah. If I like lurched, if it was a crime to lurch around your condo carrying a weapon or whatever and talking to yourself, (laughs) I'd be a murderer many times over. You'd be a criminal. Yes, you would. See, this is what I'm saying. Yeah, he's verbally abusive and he's scary. But if anything, he could get Wendy for assault. For hitting him with the bat? Yeah. (laughs) Hitting him bad is he's precariously perched on the edge of the staircase. Yep. So Halloran's death is absolutely necessary. His sacrifice is, um, it's noble, right? He realizes, he gets the, he gets Danny's distress call. He heads out. He's a little snowbird. He's all, all comfy and snug and warm in Florida. Goes back to Colorado. He drives five hours from the airport and then another untold hours in the snowcat. That's dedication to his fellow shiner. You have to wonder if he knows what the hotel is. Danny comes in unawares because he's a little kid. Jack and Wendy are just victims. But if Halloran knows, if he shines, if he understands when Danny asks him because of his shining, are there bad things here? And he's like, well, yeah, I don't know. See ya. And he goes to Florida. Like, why would Halloran even work there? And why would he go back? You'd think he would know. He would intuit that the people have gone completely crazy up there, as has happened before. He's He would be no stranger to the lore. But still, he walks in and he's like, hello? Hello? I was really tracking the Halloran character this viewing, and he has a very neutral stance on The Shining. Bad things happen. Good things happen. Some locations, like people, shine. And, you know, there are places that you shouldn't go. He was... He was no nonsense about 237. He's like, yeah. stay away. Do not go in Nothing there. Nothing in that room. Nothing for you. Stay out. Right. And so he's not dancing around it, but he has a very neutral stance on the on the shining. And the shining isn't the overlook isn't I don't I wouldn't say the overlook is evil. I think that some evil things have happened there and they leave a mark. Uh, I don't know. I'm going to go with evil. The Overlook is the biggest, grandest, scariest, most understated haunted house I've ever seen. It sounds like you're building to the idea that The Shining is not scary. 
I, I can see that it's tame and it is polarizing in that people say it's one of the best, one of the scariest movies ever made. And also people say it's one of the most overrated, not scary. Honestly, audience reaction was kind of split and it was divided based on location. If people are like just looking for a nice, scary movie, that's not what you're going to get out of The Shining. You really need to be in, in Kubrick's world and to understand a little bit about Kubrick, understand the history of The Shining. It's one of those movies that has such legend. This is not reactionary legend. It's not like all this crazy stuff happened on the set of The Exorcist or whatever. Like before, during, after, The Shining just has a storied history like The Overlook and it's haunted in itself. And a lot of that comes to bear. And I admit that The Shining wasn't my favorite horror movie growing up because it doesn't seem to fit into a lot of the tropes. 100% my favorite scary movie today. That's interesting. So added to, we're going to add it to the list of Wes's favorites. I do want to go over your horror movie requirements vis-a-vis -vis The Shining. But I got to say first, ain't nobody got time to understand Kubrick's body of work and <laughs> think twice really about The Shining. I remember a time when The Shining was was really scary. And, um, you know, maybe I've been desensitized by our three seasons of Halloween here at Or Whatever Movies and find The Shining to be more of a curiosity, something that I watched and I tried to understand from a more cerebral, sociocultural perspective. Is that weird? It, no, it is pretty slow. And I think it's what you bring to the party. I think, you know, Jack brings his almost near end. I mean, his name is Jack. He's Jack Nicholson. He's already half crazy. Aren't you looking? I, I, don't you look for the crazy in everything he says before they get to the overlook? Yeah. His wild eyes when he's like, see, you saw it on the television. It's like, yeah. I think my wife will be fascinated who is an right. avid scary movie watcher. Yeah. You're like, what? What are you saying, creepo? And I, I think that was intentional. It was definitely Stephen King's biggest misgiving about the show. I mean, he had many. Famously hates this movie, but he says that the problem with Jack Nicholson as Jack Torrance is he's nuts from the beginning. And Jack is a slow build who's, who's undoubtedly infected by the hotel, which makes the transition Wait. not infected or see is it latent untapped insanity or is he infected no i think that jack is a normal dude who is driven insane by the hotel in stephen king's novel the shining whereas in the movie obviously jack comes preloaded he's an alcoholic with a history of violence and, and hurting his kid you know he's not particularly patient with wendy kind of from the start she's like sounds like you got the job and he's like right <laughs> um, and so he's already crazy and, and this just kind of, it's a little bit like alcohol. It enables him to let his freak flag fly. Oh man. And you go, I mean, you know, Stephen King was all wrapped up in drugs and alcohol. Um, he had a real problem with alcohol being one of the motivating factors of the shining. Uh, I'm not sure if he takes issue with the movie for kind of hyping that up or if it's just his demons coming to roost. But Jack, a lot of his insanity is the drink and falling off the wagon and Lloyd perpetrating that. Right. But not in reality. This is where the rules get a little wonky because I just figured he's, he, you know, he's intoxicated by these visions and these hallucinations, but somebody physically opens that larder door. So yep. what's happening? It's the only thing you can point to, even though it happens off screen, that is unequivocally supernatural. Right. And that is a key element that I think eliminates all doubt. 
as to the motivations of the hotel or the influence of the hotel on Jack. It is not just him with, because he fell off the wagon and he's, he has cabin fever. I mean, Grady before him, Grady chopped his family up and or he cut, he hurt them with an axe. Jack said you chopped them up into little pieces. Ullman said he killed them with an axe and then stacked them neatly in yeah, one of the windows like of the hotel. I like that Ullman had to go to that detail, that level of detail. He's, he's like, he stacked them neatly. Psychopath. <laughs> right? We've discussed before how meticulous Stanley Kubrick is. So those discrepancies are really telling. He talks about Grady in the interview, and his name is Delbert Grady when he spills the advocat on Jack, and they go into the bathroom, which is, for some reason is still my favorite scene. The red and white bathroom scene is so terrifying to me. But the name that he gave, he's like, Grady? Delbert Grady. You were once the caretaker here, Mr. Grady, is not the Grady that Allman talked about in the interview. Likewise, the discrepancy huh. between chop them up into little bits and stack them in the thing. Um, there's much weirdness in The Shining, and I'm not sure I'm ever going to fully understand it. But given how meticulous Stanley Kubrick is, some of these things can't be chance. It's why this movie haunts my brain kind of more than anything else. There's all kinds of things that factor into the movie, and you're like, that is kind of weird for someone who's an ultra-perfectionist and might be a little bit too far coincidence. The one that I love that I can't stop thinking about is this idea of Allman's impossible window. When Jack goes into the office, he's sitting down with Allman and Allman's assistant, and he brings in the other dude, and there's that big, bright, shining window with the, the foliage behind his desk. Okay, yeah. And then, and then later on, Wendy goes into the room to call down and say, any chance we can get the phone lines up? And the guy's like, sorry, probably not until spring. And outside that same window, months later, it's actively snowing, like there's snow coming down. But based on Wendy's tracking later on, she's walking through the hotel with the knife. She's walking in the hallway directly behind Ullman's office, and you can see the entrance to his office on the right. When she emerges from that hallway, there's no window there. Can't be a window there. It's an impossible window based on the layout of the hotel. And yet he went to such lengths to put that window there. It was important to him to kind of throw us off psychologically. I'm not saying that's necessarily what he had to do, but they went to great lengths to put a window in that couldn't possibly be there, as they demonstrated later throughout the through the layout of the hotel. There's all kinds of weird bits in this movie that I don't claim to fully understand. This sounds very eyes wide shut. And isn't it possible that like the furry that's um, given head to Grady, <laughs> he just puts it in there to mess with you? It's not Grady, and it's not just any furry. That is Horace Derwent, who is the previous manager or the head of the Overlook Hotel in olden times, presumably in 1921. It's not a dog. It's like a pig or a bear or a pig bear dog. Um, terrifying. Not only is that Horace Derwent, but the dude who Wendy sees when the ghosts come out in force and he holds up the champagne glass. Great party, isn't it? And he's got the wound on his head. Also Horace Derwent. There are two of them in the movie. Why are there two of them? Why are there two Grady's? There's an, an article inside the scrapbook scene that was cut. Jack has a scrapbook open next to his typewriter talking about Grady and the twins, Delbert Grady with two twin daughters. But the girls are not twins. As Ullman 
says in the beginning, his daughters were like eight and 12 or eight and 10, something. And it's a different Grady. There are multiple Grady's, multiple Derwins, multiple Jacks, the 1921 Jack. How does that tie in to the current Jack Torrance, who Grady says has always been the caretaker? I should know. I've always been here. It's this weird cyclical thing that I don't quite understand, but there's got to be something to it. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount Plus. I'm in a period of emotional upheaval. Is that all the oh, I don't care crap? A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm gonna steal a bird from the Russian pigeon mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Wing, rated PG 13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. I don't know whether to get chills or to call out a major nerd alert. No, seriously. Nerd alert. I've watched this movie countless times, some of them ultra critically, some of them just just listening. So much theory. And that's why this, I cannot explain to you sufficiently how much power the Overlook Hotel has on me. You did explain it a bit when um, it was recreated for Ready Player One, our discussion for which is available at orwhatevermovies.com. Such a chill-inducing moment. It wasn't in the book, Ready Player One. When they go into the Shining spoiler and they went into a full, a, like a faithful recreation, of course it got dumb and there were like zombies and all kinds of dumb stuff. But going back into the hotel for that moment was mind blowing for me. Stanley Kubrick is the king of atmosphere. And I think that really is his biggest strength here. The Overlook, for the most part, is bright and cheery and has Native American motifs. The lights are fully on. They're not flickering. There's a couple of scenes where there's ghosts and cobwebs and everything is blue. But even that is a, is a decided shift from otherwise everything being sterile and well-lit in the kitchens to the well-lit hallways. He's not like, we're not. We're only using a tiny part. We're supposed to heat it, but that doesn't need, needs to be lit up. The entire hotel is, is lit up at all times. In the middle of winter... When there's nobody there, the lights are on in the hedge maze outside. The whole thing is lit up, still creepy as hell. The scariest scenes for me happen in the bathroom in 237, where the chick gets out of the bathtub, and I'm like, that is the freakiest thing ever. She might as well be the xenomorph alien. And the red bathroom, where they're just talking is so terrifying and it's all bright and cheery and there's that one stall that's conspicuously open and the toilet is just sitting there it's right in the middle it's like a third character between grady and and jack torrance it's bizarre man and isn't it one of those ones with the black toilet seats why do they have black toilet seat covers not covers but you know the seats themselves Yeah, the seats so you can so you can't see the stains so gross 
that is my one of my favorite scenes. Just Grady turns and you can't see his face. It's weird. You almost can't see his face at all. He spills the avocado. He's somewhat obscured all the way until he gets in his face and accuses him of murdering his wife and daughters. It's such a bizarre scene. <laughs> You're just mesmerized. The scene that I find the most terrifying is when Jack is approaching Wendy and she's... <laughs> Like very ineffectively swinging the bat at him until she bats his head and he flies down the stairs. But that whole scene where he's just toying with her and he's very slowly closing in on her takes place in broad daylight. Yeah. The windows are all bright and shining and all of the chandeliers are lit in that great lobby or whatever that room is where he that he claimed is his office. I mean, they don't have to you don't have to wait till the sun goes down for this villain to be a menace. I mean, it's terrifying. Yeah, I'm not even sure that the outside is real. I'm not sure that it's daylight when it's daylight or not when it's not. I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, in the sense that, like, there is no sense of time in their isolation or that the, the hotel itself decides. Both. They could be in space in the hotel structure and not know. It doesn't matter. They're stuck. When Wendy is trying to escape the hotel after Dan she gets Danny out the window, things go pretty haywire. The gold room is suddenly transformed into the blue room. It's our traditional haunted house, like terror movie motif thing. It's all cobwebs draped all over the place. And it's it's silly, but it's it's horrifying to her. That's when all the ghosts come out. When the ghost dog man and the Derwents show up and she sees Halloran's body. And that's when chaos reigns in the Overlook for me. It's kind of kicked off when she finds his manuscript. Yeah. I think from then on, it's all, all bets are off. We're not pretending anymore. It's it's bad. I, I just wonder about the art department. Like, what art PA was given the task to type out all of those pages? I can tell you exactly who. The, and were they instructed to, like, make shapes? Uh, like indent and, and paragraph and alignment? stuff? Yeah. It was 100% Stanley Kubrick's uh, secretary, and it took her months to do. Uh, she rifles through, what, half a dozen pages, maybe 10 pages, all, ja all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. There were a lot. Like, I think that whole thing might have been full of that. She could have, like, dived into the middle and, and found all those pages faithfully typed up by Kubrick's assistant. Like I said, it doesn't get haunted house, lightning crashing outside, flickering lights kind of scary for the most part. No, just waves of blood and ghosts and skeletons with cobwebs. Yeah, it's good <laughs> stuff. And it's so varied, man. It's so varied. Uh, the Overlook does transform in the sense that it gets snowy. I mean, that's kind of creepy. Very creepy. Like it's going into its, this is its other form. And when you look at that hedge maze, it has a distinctly different characteristic when the hedges are covered in snow. Yep. So Danny truly outsmarts Jack in the hedge maze. Yeah, the, retracing his steps. Or does Jack just get lost? So this was a big thing for Dad, too. Dad really likes The Shining. And he was like, yeah, it's so smart. You know, see, he, he retraces his steps. So the steps just end. I remember Dad gushing about the trick that he plays on Jack, that Danny plays on Jack. He only retraces his steps about to suggest that he went this way maybe three or four times. And then he hops to his knees and obscures with the uh, with the snow. So when Jack finds the dead end footprints, Danny is right there on the other side of the hedge. 
and luckily Jack decides to go another way. And then Danny jumps out and follows his footprints out. Now, is it snowing so heavily that Jack leaves the footprints, but he could follow his own footprints back and then follow Danny's? There's only one way. And if Jack can't do that, either he's too drunk, too possessed or whatever, uh, or it's snowing, so it obscures his footprints, but he never finds his way back out. I think he's realized that he's that he's failed at his duty. He's failed at, at Grady's challenge. You know, he's a creative failure. He's a failure as a father, and he, he, he accepts his defeat when the snowcat is just driving away. I can't believe that it's really happening. Like, you can't believe that they made it out of there alive? Yeah, and it's not without struggle, but does it come down to, yeah, Danny's familiar with the maze and he makes his way out and, and Jack doesn't? Yeah, and, and I guess it just releases, it, the house releases its hold on Jack, I guess, and lets him die. You know, it's curious, the 1921 July 4th ball of Jack, showing that he's at least been a part of the hotel for 50 years at that point, is a pretty good ending. It's a little bit confusing, but the deleted ending, which no one has ever seen, it, it survives in the shooting scripts, but multiple people confirm that this was in the locked print that went to theaters before Stanley Kubrick hastily decided to cut it out. The police, Wendy's recuperating uh, in a hospital, and the police say that they've scoured the Overlook and they can find no trace of her husband's body. And then Allman comes in and says, you, you can come to my home in Los Angeles to recuperate. He feels really bad or something. And then he tosses Danny a ball. And it is either the tennis ball that Jack is throwing against the wall, or it's the ball that rolls into Danny's play area with his trucks and cars out of nowhere. from the, Or from both. The, haunt, the haunted, or both. And he laughs and, and leaves. And that opens the possibility that it's not done, that Jack, he was absorbed into the hotel or he didn't really die. I don't know. But it wasn't a question that Stanley Kubrick felt he needed answered. So he excised it. But it maybe adds a little bit of cushion to your questions about what the ending means or how improbable it is or the fact that their, their survival seems so miraculous that it's almost not quite right. We've discussed, and we're also not mentioning, the fact that the ending in the novel is completely different. The Overlook blowing up. Anyway, <laughs> um, Halloran doesn't die, and I distinctly remember that he has a little chat with Danny at the end. There's just lots of different endings, and, it, that's, and, I, and I go back to, like, what story are we telling here? I don't know. And I frankly don't know 100% that it, the little details matter. We ascribe massive significance and importance to some of these things, or at least I do. I need something to latch onto in The Shining. Who's good? Who's bad? What is the power behind the, the Overlook Hotel? Is it decidedly evil? Is it neutral? Probably certainly not benevolent. What is Halloran's motivation? Why is he there? Danny says to himself later on, remember, or actually Tony says to Danny, remember what Mr. Halloran said? It's just like pictures in a book, Danny. It's not real. That is real, dude. And why did he tell him that? It, he's traumatized enough so that he is like in shock after the 237 lady grabs him around the neck or whatever she does to him. Not fake, not pictures in a book. And he might have been able to protect himself or advise his family not to let their guard down so much. I don't know, man. The motivations are crazy. But there are some things that can't be... Like, remember I talked about the impossible window? 
some of the things couldn't have been convenience or coincidence. You remember when Halloran is driving back up to the Overlook, trying to get as close as he can before he has to resort to the snowcat, and you see the semi crushing the car? There's the police waving him by, and there's a semi truck on its side that crushed a Volkswagen underneath the truck. Oh. That Volkswagen is bright red, and that is Stephen King's Torrance Volkswagen that was bright red in the novel. Stanley Kubrick went a completely different direction, totally pissed Stephen King off, rejected outright his screenplay of his own novel to tell his own story, put them in a yellow Volkswagen, and then when Halloran goes by, Stephen King's red Volkswagen is notably crushed under that semi-truck. Is that a coincidence? I don't know. Volkswagens are just popular. They're the people's car. Come on. It could be, but for Stanley Kubrick, it seems intentional. The Overlook is like my grand gallery my museum of movie nerd lore where I can just walk around and be like, wow, whoa. And let all these like theories, these compartmentalized theories, notions, joys fly around and just like unfettered, man. It's the best thing ever. I can see that. And I can also see that Stanley Kubrick's movies are overlooks in and of themselves. I mean, if, if you are predisposed <laughs> to nerddom and cinephilic mental illness then come on in to stanley kubrick's films because it's a feast you can go down that rabbit hole and you can go deep would you say that's true would you agree yeah absolutely the shining from 1980 wes's favorite movie of all time no wes's favorite horror movie when it comes to halloween time which is what we're celebrating here at or whatever movies i have a top five list it is this curiosity as you say um scary for not the obvious reasons scary for me as an adult who came to appreciate cinema and the power that it has over me overlook undoubtedly holds a lot of power for me and so curious that i can keep going back and back and finding new things such an enigma this movie it is a totally movie for me but i wouldn't always have said that what is there in the shining that's memorable or haunting you got the blood in the elevator you got the murder of halloran and that's kind of it nothing really happens but it's so creepy why is it so creepy when that lady climbs out of the bathtub and there's nothing sexy about it? And it's just like, ooh, and it sends chills up your spine. Nothing happens. He doesn't die. He goes back to the thing. And Wendy's like, what was in room 330? He's like, nothing. Nothing was in there at all. It's so weird. They've always been there. They always will be there. Stanley Kubrick says, with much to Stephen King's annoyance. Can't do it justice, man. I don't know. Like, you're either on board with this movie or you're not. And somehow I got on board with this movie after multiple viewings. I wasn't always on board with this movie. The Shining from 1980. A totally from Wes and a good from Iris. That's our discussion. On this movie, Wes's favorite horror movie of all time. Is it on your top five list? Have you gone down the Shining rabbit hole? It's a deep one. Let us know 818-835-0473 or whatever movies at gmail.com. Have I mentioned that there are three seasons of Halloween episodes on or whatever movies and 250 plus movie discussions at or whatever movies.com or wherever you get podcasts. We make this podcast for you, our movie friends. If you want to become an official movie friend, become a patron on Patreon. Thank you for listening to The Shining and happy Halloween. Welcome to Ringside with Ray and Prince. My name is Ray Leonard Jr. Oh, we got this chair.
Daddy. My name is Prince Daniels Jr. Daniels again with a big hole. On this show, we come to humanize athletes, entertainers, business executives. We're going to see what makes them tick. Tuesdays, 10 a.m. Pacific time on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, and wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you there. Peace and power. Electric acid. Hey, what's happening out there, everybody? This is Lawrence Ross, and I'd like to tell you a little bit about my podcast, The Lawrence Ross Show. Egomaniac. It's a two-hour weekly exploration into my mind. I also do sketches, celebrity impersonations. You're out of order! And I also do song parodies. Not too shabby for a blind guy. Not only are you visually impaired, but you are geographically impaired. New episodes are released every Friday. Check it out on your favorite podcasting platform or listen to it here on Society 13 on Electrocast.